I mean, I was mm-hmm. I was super nervous when I started doing them, but yeah. then it yeah, yeah, it yeah. got. Easier. I know you can't be nervous. <laughs> I I started out nervous, and you can hear it in the first ones, but it's it's relaxed now. Hello, and welcome to episode number twenty one of People Who Matter. My name is Harley, and this is the show where I interview entrepreneurs, musicians, and uniquely successful people to find out what sets them apart and why they're so damn happy. You can find all the links and show notes for this episode at peopleshow.co or in the show description on whatever podcast app you're using. You can also join in the conversation on social media using the hashtag PWM21. forward to this episode? I know I am. Today's guest is Andreas Mueller, and I'll tell you a little bit about, bit about who he is in just a moment. But first, I want to let you guys know that today's podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial by going to booksmatter.co. Again, that's booksmatter.co. They've got over 150,000 titles for you to choose from. You can put them on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I just got finished listening to The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. I know I mentioned that in the last episode. And I am enthralled. I'm still trying to process that book. I highly recommend listening to it if you haven't already. It's a pretty pretty controversial one, and I can see why now. But it's, it's really, really, really interesting. I don't know. I still have to figure out what I got out of it, but highly recommend it. I'm also listening to The Snowball. I'm listening to the same ones I was last time, listening to The Snowball, Abundance. Um, I actually just started listening to The Alchemist, I believe it's called, Paulo Coelho. Great one, too. I think that's going to be a new favorite of mine. So anyway, go to booksmatter.co, get your free trial and your free audiobook today. Totally worth it. So, Andreas Mueller. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about who he is, and then we can get into the interview. He is... he is the co-founder of a company called Blue Fusion, who, and, and they work with some amazing companies. He worked with Skype, Yelp, LinkedIn, did their SEO in the early days, helped them get visibility. And I just think that's such a cool claim to fame. So we talked about that. We talked about some really cool stuff. But the, the reason, one of the reasons I talked to him is he's actually uh, the father of one of my best friends. Uh, if you guys listen to episode eight with Ben Soli, you remember me talking about the Greyhound trip I took. His daughter, uh, Andreas's daughter, Bettina, is one of the one of the folks I took that trip with. So I know him really well, and this is the first in studio experience I had him just sitting across the table from me. So this one's going to be pretty different. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And without further ado, here's my interview with Andreas Mueller. studio one and i'm super excited i think this is gonna be gonna where's, be where's really the on the fun. air light i didn't see that on the outside i know i feel like i should have one i've actually <laughs> considered should. it but yeah so make so, it so much more official yeah i know 
I f if I just had a button right here, uh -huh. or like even this this boom, if it right. had like an on-air right. light, right, right, gonna right. build this into a recording, like a radio studio one of these days. That'd be cool, yeah, yeah. But so I'd like to get started with just yep. a super simple little question. Just okay. Where are you from? Um, ori like Originally, way, way where'd back? you grow up? Oh wow. Yeah. In Germany. Okay. Yeah. What part of Germany? Yeah. So we, we've started already. We've started. Wow, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Which part of Germany? Southern Southern Germany. I was born in, in Stuttgart. Okay. Yep. So what so, was what was it like growing up there? I know almost nothing about Germany, even though I studied German for eight years. <laughs> okay. So growing up in Germany was it was very different for me already. I was I was the oldest um, the oldest child in our family, so I was kind of the the you know the first the the initial guy out there. Mm -hmm. um, my mother is American and my dad is German. So we were always kind of a, a bicultural family. So it wasn't, a, I mean, you can't even say, it, you know, there's a, a standard uh, German, German family. Uh -huh. But I went, I went to, so I started out speaking mostly English at home because my, my mom, you know, being in Germany, it's, it, 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 it really makes sense to, yeah. to kind of focus on the English because that's probably what you'll be losing. And so we spoke English at home. My dad speaks English as well. Um, and then um, as I, you know, started playing with kids and, you know, all my friends were German, we spoke German. And I remember all these funny scenes of like being outside and, and uh, you, you know, back, I mean, this is way back in the, you know, 60s and 70s when, mm -hmm. when, when, when kids were growing up, you just, you just kind of leave, you just kind of check out and head out. Parents didn't know where you were really, but, yeah. but you were kind of within shouting distance often. And so my mom would just, you know, she'd just shout, oh, like dinner's ready. And I'd answer in German and my friends would be going, okay, I didn't know. I didn't understand what she said. I understood what you said. What's going on here? So it was oh, interesting. <laughs> so it was, it was very intentional that you were raised bilingual. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. What yeah. do you feel like the benefit of that has been? Oh my God. It's, 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 it's been wonderful. It's so it's really, really hard to explain um, to uh, to people who haven't who haven't really experienced it themselves. It's something that I think my kids really understand, and that Suzanne, uh, my my wife, really gets um, being able to speak another language and being able to kind of immerse yourself in that culture. Because I feel like, like as an example, I I live in the U.S. now. Um, I've been here since 1978. Um, and when I go back to Germany, initially there's a little bit of, okay, okay, you know, a few hours of kind of getting back into it, but then I slide back into kind of my German side mm -hmm. and it's so cool because it's, it's, it's almost like you have a, you have a split personality, Oh, interesting. but it, in, 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 in a very positive way, uh -huh. but it works really well. And it's so exciting because you can just kind of, you can kind of slide into this, this, alter ego almost yeah oh that's fascinating yeah so at that point when you were growing up there what did you imagine your life looking like like what were the options presented to you wow i wanted to be as, as a kid i wanted to be an actor okay uh, um but that's that's just kind of a you know standard kid's dream that's because uh -huh. you you know you watch watch tv and you kind of emulate certain people and you've got your idols um i think i think as as so so i went i, I went to the four initial years of school. So there's kindergarten and the, the four initial years of school, which is like elementary school in Germany. And then by the end of fourth grade, you have to make a decision, which is, it's crazy. Yeah. So you take these, it's almost like you take this mini 
ACT and SAT test. Yeah. Fourth grade. Yes. Wow. Nuts. Um, and, and you are like you with your teachers and your parents, but a lot of it is, 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 you know, how well you're doing in school. You basically make a decision, um, uh, which school you go to after that. And so it's either college prep or it's more vocational or in between, in between that. So there are three different. Yeah. I can't even imagine. There are three, three, three different avenues after that. So what was making that decision at that age like for you? It was, um, I remember spending some, a lot of time with my grandfather who was a teacher uh -huh. and he was kind of off in, in a more rural area. And we, you know, we together went through the tests and he was, he was really into it and, um, like super motivated to, to help me. And I mean, I think I did, I did pretty well. I was, I was lazy. That was, that was, that was, that was one of the issues. I knew my stuff and I, th and, and I think even back then it was, it kind of made sense that I should probably be on a, a on a, on a path where I would go to the university. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I went and, and the school is called gymnasium, which is like gymnasium, which is way, way back from the Greek okay. idea of, you know, gymnasium means sports, but it also means education. It's, it's a place where you, you know, where you, you, you kind of progress, where you move forward, oh, that's so where cool. you learn. Yeah. And so I made it to the gymnasium, which was a, a relief to my parents because I think they're really worried. <laughs> okay. <laughs> lazy kid finally make it. Right. Up. Exactly. So everybody knew he's, he's not stupid. He's just so lazy. <laughs> I can, I can relate to that. I can definitely relate. So as you, so that was fifth grade that you yeah. had already made that, made that decision. Right. So after fourth grade, going into fifth grade, you have, you, you, that decision basically is made for you. Yeah. That, I mean, you, you kind of, I'm just having it's trouble nuts. wrapping my brain around it's nuts, yeah. trying to think about what I was doing in fourth grade. I, right, right, I had right. no clue. That's so funny. But as you got into your teen years, what, yep. what was that like? Because I know the cultural difference between what a teenager is can be can be pretty big. So what were those years like for you? Uh, my teen years in Germany. Yeah. So I moved. I moved when I was 16. So when I was in Germany, so I moved from 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 Germany to the okay. U.S. In Germany, what were my teen years like? Um, I had long hair. Um, I really wanted to be a hippie. Uh -huh. I was a little too late because I was in the, you know, kind of in, in the 70s instead of the 60s. Or I was a, yeah. a teenager in the 70s. Um, I was very, I mean, I've, I've, I felt like I was very politically active. Um, I, I, I saw myself as being uh, left wing, which which in Germany, I mean, it's either you're the SPD, which is the, the Social Democrats, or the, the CDU, which is kind of the more Republicans. Um, but the social Democrats is more, it's more like the Democrats here with, you know, maybe more of a social democratic bent. Okay. So and you so, were, you were really active and outgoing as a teen. Um, y yes, in a way, in, in a very small, um, circle, I okay. think I had, I had close friends. I had two very close friends. Um, and then, oh, here's, here's, here's one of the things I really liked. Uh, when I went to the gymnasium in Germany uh, in fifth grade, um, you, you could make so you could, you can make all these selections. You can decide which school you want to go to. And my parents, and this kind of ties in to 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 your background. Mm -hmm. My parents decided, oh, let's send him to a musical uh, gymnasium or a, mu or a gymnasium with with a, a, a music program. And so one of the requirements was you you had to be able to uh, play two instruments. And this is you know fourth grade, so. I've been playing the piano, and so um, I, th I think also the recorder, and so it's uh, 
that was easy. Yeah. And so I got into that and it was, it was also, um, a school that focused on languages. And so I started in fifth, in fifth grade, I started with my first foreign language, which was English, which was, you know, pretty easy. Oh, okay. Okay. So <laughs> I, I see what you did there. Yep. And then French came in seventh grade. Um, yeah, so it was two, two foreign languages, the first one in fifth grade and the second one in, in seventh grade. But the cool thing was it was a girl, originally it was a girl's gymnasium. And they just opened it up to boys. Okay. And so, especially the class I was in, because it was music and um, modern languages instead of you know Greek and and Latin, it was it was really just me and it's, so big classes like 30, 32 kids, um, and it was it was me and like maybe four other guys. Okay. And the rest were girls. It was wonderful. It was great. <laughs> I, just, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, what was that like? But wonderful seems it like it fun. might sum it up. It was fun. It was really fun. Yeah. 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 Huh. So yeah. how do you how do you think that that changed things being at this school that was just open to guys and studying what you were studying? I think um, I mean I, I I felt like I had a very um, almost like a, a a blessed childhood where um, you know drugs weren't an issue. Um, I mean alcohol was there, but nobody really drank, and and it was a um, uh, and I think it was just a confluence of of coincidences too because in different parts of germany i mean they're even back then there were uh, some you know some pretty pretty heavy duty gnarly schools where you know kids were getting drunk and getting mm -hmm. in fights and there um at that time there are a lot of guest workers from turkey from italy from spain um and there, so there was some a little bit of racial tension um and if, if your school had a lot of foreign students it was you know you're kind of trying to figure out oh those you know they're all they're all these these um preconceived notions oh the turks oh they they all have knives and and so but but that's something i just wasn't exposed to so i was really lucky yeah interesting yeah so the day you got to the states yep tell me about that ha huh. so we moved from uh, a fairly um like a really um a fairly well i mean not i, I don't want to say rich but a really uh, well established part of germany where there was a lot of different industries a lot of varied industry mm -hmm. um there's not a lot of unemployment and so as a family we made a decision because my mom's american and uh and so we made a decision hey let's move to the u.s um because it'd be great for the kids and there was a a, a good uh, a good stint for my dad who get this this, this is going to get really interesting he's a pastor and so he got a um th there was a position um, in a suburb of Detroit, so in, in Michigan, and they were there are a lot of Germans there, and there was a German congregation, and they're looking for a pastor who spoke German and English extremely well, was willing to take over where their retired pastor you know, was leaving off, and could do um, uh, you know basically could could do business in English and German and. And that just yeah. took a twist I didn't expect. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what, what what denomination? Lutheran. Lutheran. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. your dad became a Lutheran, a bilingual Lutheran pastor right. in Detroit. Exactly. So what was Detroit like at that point? Um, really, really bad because ever since, um, um, you know, ever since the '60s, mm -hmm. uh, the, the the poverty was rampant, and and the auto industry, which was really, really strong in the in the '40s and '50s, that it supported people. And really made it 
uh, a fairly rich area mm-hmm. was on the decline. The Japanese cars were coming in. People were concerned about their jobs. People were getting laid off. Um, Detroit was falling apart. Um, you know, neighborhoods were um, there's there's the the Devil's Night before Halloween. Okay, where like half of Detroit's basically on fire because people people you know oh my god set places on fire and that you know those kinds of things were going on and. Um, and, and the riots, the riots really, really had 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 um, uh, changed things there. And so basically, the white population was leaving Detroit, going to the suburbs. And the crazy, crazy thing was that um, I mean, when I lived in Germany, was, everything was pretty homogeneous. It was pretty straightforward. Is you know, so I had I had like one guy was Spanish. He was in my class, and and, the, mm-hmm. and I knew I knew some Turks, but that was pretty much it. So there wasn't any like a lot of a lot of mixture or a lot at least in the area I was in there wasn't any uh, uh any racial tension that I could that I could feel but as soon as we moved to um this was it was called East Detroit back then and it was north so it's a suburb okay and get this it's called East Detroit it's north of 8 mile road anything south of 8 mile road is Detroit anything north of 8 mile road is basically suburbs so non-detroit okay and east detroit was i think it was like two something like two by two miles like four square miles or or um uh, no not not even that more like maybe uh yeah two 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 square miles altogether um it was all white really it was just all white and and eight mile road was basically the the, the racial barrier yeah so that was that's super bizarre I, what was what was that shift like? Because that sounds just like night and day. Yeah, it was. How exactly. how did that affect you? Um, well, another another one of the impacts was that the school the school in Germany was was a um, kind of you know it was it was a gymnasium, so it was the whole school was basically you have, you have to imagine the whole school was was on a university track. Okay. Um, so almost like a prep school. I mean, not not hoity toity or anything like that, but most most of the kids were they're either vocational. Um, hey, I'll go to school until I think it's after until tenth grade, and then I'll go do something vocational, or I'm on I'm on the way to the to the university from here university track. Um, when when we moved to East Detroit, so the suburb north of Detroit, um, I went you know specifically I went I went to East Detroit High School, which was a public public school, mm-hmm. and it was you know there were I don't think there were any blacks, I mean so close to Detroit, no blacks. Um, I mean, otherwise they're, you know, kind of standard mix, Irish, German, um, uh, really no Spanish, a lot of Italians. Um, but it was very, it was a very blue collar. And the, the thing I thought was really interesting was that um, you get a class, this, this was, this just blew my mind. Because in Germany, you would, you would take certain classes, there was a little bit of flexibility, but there was a kind of a track that was proposed and that, that so you got on the track. Um, here you get a class schedule. And you get this little, you know, this little directory and you look at that ahead of time and you, you pick your classes hmm. and you can pick whatever you want to a certain degree. I mean, if you're going to college, you need, you know, you need, you need to fill these buckets. And so I was looking at all these classes and they're like HVAC classes, like, like, uh, uh, um, car repair, you know, at my high school, learn how to repair a car. This is Detroit, right? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And so I was like, wow, this is nuts. And so, I mean, I didn't take those classes, but this, you know, this is kind of the new ecosystem that what that I was thrown into. So, which classes? So fascinating. Which classes caught your eye? What did you end up taking? 
I ended up taking a lot of English. I took um, kind of advanced, um, if possible, I took advanced German classes. Um, and I drove my teachers nuts because I knew more German. And, and, and it was it was really just one-on-ones, you know, where I'd, I'd read a book and I'd come back and I'd do a book report. Um, and they, you know, we talked about it in German and, and you know, I'd, in my mind, I'd be correcting my, 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 my teachers. <laughs> but then I also had advanced French classes, which, which, which I really enjoyed because here you're in high school and the high school started uh, in 10th grade because the high school is just so big. They said, okay, 10th through 12th grade. Uh, oh, just, just three. Yeah. Because the high school is like, I think, um, I'm trying to remember like 3000 kids. It's just a huge high school. I can't even imagine that. Yeah. It's like the opposite of what I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Homeschooled and a small private school. But yeah, that, yeah. that is so interesting. So after, but what was, what was fun actually? I so, so I took, so I took German and German was just, uh-huh. Hey, you just, just take it and, and just kind of deal with it. And I didn't take a lot of it. Uh, but then I took French and the, the thing I really liked is that these kids hadn't taken any French. So I immediately kind of popped into a second year of French, which I'd already done in Germany because mm-hmm. I basically started French in seventh grade. So I'd had three years of French in Germany. Um, so I did, you know, French, like uh, French two or whatever it's called. And I really enjoyed it. And I started uh, kind of getting into getting into languages. Okay. So how many languages do you speak now? Uh, French and German, re- I mean, ger- German really, really well. Okay. French, super, super well. Okay. Um, a little bit of, um, I've, I've taken, I've taken Spanish and Italian. Wow. And walking here on the levee, I was thinking, I really want to go back and, and, and do some more Spanish or Italian because I just love. So five, five languages, yeah. three of them completely fluent. I spent time in Japan as well. I spoke Japanese. I mean, I was really proud of myself. Like for foreigner, I, th- I thought I did really well mm-hmm. having lived there for nine months, but I've lost almost all of it in the meantime. Yeah. So you lose it so quickly. Yeah. You lived in Japan for nine months. What yeah. did you do there? <laughs> that, that fascinates me. <laughs> so this was after, um, after college. Um, I applied to, I got, I, I would do all these, these, these funky things. Mm-hmm. So I applied to, um, a program and it was a work study program in, in Japan. Um, and it started this, this, this is while I was still in Michigan. And, um, uh, so basically I took, I, I took classes. I took Japanese culture classes, history, language, um, in Lansing where Michigan state is. Um, that prepared me. And then nine months after that, I went, I went to Japan and I worked, I worked on a, and this is really funky again. So I worked on a boat, a stern wheeler. I mean, think, think Tom Sawyer, right? Okay. A stern wheeler called the Michigan because this city happened to have a relationship with Lansing. And so it was kind of a Michigan, you know, Michigan and and, Japan. And so they called it the Michigan. And the owner, uh, the owner of the boat is also, uh, the owner of a hotel. And so he had this, this, this big program where he would have about 20, I think it was about 20 Americans come over to Japan, work on the boat, also take classes. And you know, the classes were great cause he could justify it fiscally. Okay. Um, but to us it was fantastic because we, we, you know, we took classes, we took Ikebana, we took language, we took history in while we we're in Japan. So what's Ikebana? 
Oh, the flower flower arrangement. Okay. Yeah. So okay. all I mean, all this all this fun, all this wow. fun cultural stuff we immersed ourselves into, uh, and we we were very close to Kyoto, and so we had uh, train passes, and and you know if, if we had a short day of work, we'd we'd go there, or in the weekends we'd we'd go visit Kyoto, and then we kind of fan out and go to Tokyo, and we I, I went to uh, to Kyushu to southern southern Japan as well. Okay. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. So I loved it. At that point, was entrepreneurship at all on the radar? Did you know no, what it was? Oh, it really wasn't. Okay. It really wasn't. So what was your career track from there? My career track, and it's almost, I almost want to call it a program because it, it uh, I mean, to me, it was very clear. Um, I was going to, I was going to finish high school, go to college, and then to, after college, go to graduate school. And then, um, I mean, in, in a weird way, I just knew I was going to get a PhD and teach. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was it really clear. So, um, I went, I actually finished. So, so I, so I went to, to high school in Michigan, went to college in Michigan, um, went to graduate school. And, uh, so what, so what happened after, after college is I decided, okay, I, I need to get out of here. I, I, I just want to head somewhere else. I, and, 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 and to me, the options were really clear and, um, if, if I look at where I applied to graduate school, so graduate school was, was the next step. Yeah. Very, very obvious. And I actually applied to graduate schools in Germany, in Austria, in Switzerland. I mean, it's just to get back to, to Europe, but then also in, uh, in California. Okay. And it really makes sense. If you look at my parents, my dad's German. So, okay, I need to go back there. My mom is American. She was originally from California. So, and she, you know, she gone to, to Berkeley and to me it was, you know, it's really clear. Got to go to, to uh, California. So I applied to Stanford to almost all of the UCs I could think of that made sense. I mean, even Irvine and LA, mm -hmm. one of them was Davis, Berkeley. And then I heard, and th this was, I applied for a, um, a French, um, basically a, 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 for the French, to, to, to the French program, to the French masters and, and PhD program. And I heard back from UC Davis, my least favorite school by far, because I just thought, you know, never heard of them. They're near Sacramento. Okay, it's hot. Yeah. But they responded immediately. And this was while I was in Japan. So my mom was saying, hey, you're getting all these calls from UC Davis and the, the, and, 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 and the, the, the program manager is, you know, really wants to talk to you. And is there a way you can call from Japan? And I couldn't get that to work. But the nice thing was, um, and this, this will knock your socks off. The nice thing was that they offered, they immediately offered me a teaching assistantship and the teaching assistantship consisted of, so you, you teach a class, you teach a class five times a week, fairly straightforward. Okay. So French department, you teach a French class, right? Sounds, you know, sounds, sounds good. Um, and they would, they paid $10,000 a year. Now it doesn't sound like a lot, but $10,000 a year back then with tuition being, $500 a quarter paid for absolutely everything. Oh my God. Harley. Yeah. It, so it paid, it paid for, um, you know, for lodging. It paid for, for, for food. It, it, it paid for, um, and this is where I met Suzanne. Uh -huh. Um, and so we would basically every, every year, so I was in, in graduate school for three years and every year we'd go, you know, we'd go to France to, to Paris. The excuse was, <clears throat> it's almost like a business trip. The excuse was, Oh, we're doing research. Oh, that's so but great. Then, but you know, we had money to do it through uh -huh. the teaching assistantship and it was wonderful. I loved it. 
So you were teaching French, learning French, yes, yes. and going to France. Exactly. Exactly. That is exactly. so cool. Yeah. So, so did you did you end up teaching French after that, or did you leave Davis and? So I um so what happened in Davis was was really interesting because um so I was I was programmed to do this PhD so that mm-hmm. was that was my future. Um, while I was at Davis, I realized as I was finishing my master's, um, I realized this this is not really for me because there's um, like in academia, on, on the one hand, there was a lot of backstabbing, which was kind of rampant in our department, uh, although I loved, um, you know, the professors there. Um, so that that was one of the issues. And and the other thing that, that, that really bothered me was that I truly, truly, from the bottom of my heart, enjoyed teaching. And I enjoyed being with students. I just loved it. I would pick, so you could, you could pick which which class you taught. And I'd, I'd always pick the eight o'clock class, the super early class. So you either got the 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 guys who had missed sign up or something. And then, oh my God, let's sign up for the eight o'clock class. But mostly the, the, the kids in that class were super motivated. I can imagine. And I was motivated. You know, I'm getting up at, at you know, 6.30 or 7 to get there to teach and it was great because you, you teach from eight to nine then you're done then you've got maybe two graduate classes during the day um you know, or during the week basically that might just meet once or, or, or twice a week and that's it then you just do your work you write papers teach a class in the morning and and it was it was wonderful i really enjoyed it so what was it like when you realized that it might not be the track for you that you kind of just fell into it um it was it was a little bit scary but um Fate took an interesting twist because um, uh, Suzanne had um, my 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 wife. She she had grown up in in Marin County. Yeah, and so we both kind of made that decision at the same time. And uh, so she so so we just said, okay, that's it. That's okay. We're we're kind of done. And so she decided to go back. And and we we had been we had been in Paris for for a year as well. Um, so she decided to go back to uh, to Mill Valley, and she I can't I was trying to remember what what I was doing. I think I was in Germany with with my grandmother. I was, I was still hanging out there, and she went back, and she actually got a job in San Francisco very very quickly, working at of all places a bank, the Indust- IBJ, the Industrial Bank of Japan. Really, but it was it was one of those funky things back. You know, this was in the in the this was eighty eighty nine. You just kind of go to a headhunter and you say, "Hey, I'm just finished graduate school. I'm looking for a job." And they kind of go, "Ding, ding, 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 ding." Okay, well, here's this. Hey, how about the Industrial Bank of Japan? They got something. Do you want to go interview? And I think she found something within, I don't know, within a week or so. It was just crazy. Wow. Yeah. So it's just administration. She was. She ended up being an office manager. Was really good at what she did, but it was. It's kind of a, a really bizarre. That that is such a random little little career there. Yeah, yeah. So you were in Germany at that time. Did you right. come back shortly after? And I came back. Okay. Right. And what were you doing at that point? Um, so at that point, I was I was done with graduate school, mm-hmm. trying to figure out like what do I do? Like you were saying, like yeah. what, okay, so there's this big hole because everything's been kind of programmed, um, and it, it in a sense, with the exception of kind of the, the jump into the gymnasium which was maybe a little bit stressful, mostly for my parents, I think. Um, everything after that was easy. It's just you finish, you, you take the next step, you look at a college, you get accepted, you get in, you know, have your parents pay most of it, and then 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> you pay part of it and then, you know, you do okay. Lazy, but intelligent. So yeah, you can, you can get through there somehow. Um, and then graduate school. Yeah. And then, and then suddenly, right. You're, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're kind of in this hole. Like what, what do I do? And, um, so the, the thing that was really helpful is that Suzanne, um, what had already found this job mm-hmm. and I just kind of felt like, wow, if, if it was that easy for her, I mean, let me see what I can do. And so I did some interviewing kind of the same model, just going to these kind of headhunters and Hey, what, what do you've got? What do you, what do you have? And here's my background. And so I found a job fairly quickly, maybe within a month or so, I want to say maybe even, even less time than that. Um, with a wine importer, uh, Seagram Chateau Estate, and, and Chateau Estate is a, a big division of Seagram that really only imported wines, imported French and German wines. Uh, okay. So it made a lot of sense. So that the the being able to speak French and German was very helpful. And the job was in San Francisco. Suzanne's job was in San Francisco as well, in the financial district. So the the re- I mean this this was like a really idyllic part of my life where we lived in Mill Valley. We lived in an apartment. Um, we got on the bus. I mean, the bus was like you know three blocks from our from our place. Hopped on the bus, Golden Gate Transit across the Golden Gate Bridge. We got off at like right right on, on Kearney or something like that. Walked for two blocks, got to my office, and and it was just it was great. It was Holy wonderful. cow! <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's amazing. So, and how long were you at that job? I was there from eighty nine to ninety three. Okay. Yeah. And 93, your daughter Bettina was born, right? In 92. Yeah. 92. Oh, 93. No, you're right. right. Okay. We got married in 92. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I thought, I thought we were the same age. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bettina and I are both 93. But mm-hmm. so, and it was a couple years after that, mm-hmm. or I guess more than a couple years after that, that you started your company. Right. Th- this was in, so the company I started was in 2001. Okay. What happened in between that was that I got pulled and, and um, part of that was through the language connections as well. Uh-huh. So in 93, I got a job with um, a company, a, a French company, a French high-tech company. Uh, They're based in, in Lyon. And, and the guy running it in the U.S. was looking for somebody to uh, kind of to help with the, the technical side, technical support. And he just gotten rid of somebody um, who was just not perform- performing that well. And so, um, uh, I was, so, so kind of going back to the wine importer, Okay. I was working at this wine importer and I hope nobody's listening. Um, but, uh, things were a little bit, a little bit slow at times. And so what I did is I, I always loved technology, even way, way back. I would build crazy things with radios and transistors and like take toasters apart and repair them and. Um, and so while I was there, I did this very cool thing. I was aware of the internet. This is, this is back in, you know, the late eighties, the internet is out there. Okay. Mm -hmm. You can communicate via email and there's, if you, if you somehow get into the internet via a Unix machine, you can do very cool things that hardly anybody knows about. And so what I did was I installed, I mean, this sounds crazy. So I had a big, I had a big PC, like a 286, a super slow monster. I bought myself a modem. I installed it. This is a huge, like a massive modem card. 
I, inst- I opened up the P- you know this huge box of a PC, installed the modem, and um, I had uh, what they back then they called a shell account. So it's a way to log into a Unix server, which then um, got you connected to the internet. But the shell account was um, it's basically like typing commands. It's like uh-huh. yeah, it's it's like you're in DOS or something. You're just you're you're basically on on a Unix server typing Unix commands. Okay, that explains what that program on my computer is that I can never figure exactly. out the, yeah. the shell script. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. So every every Apple is based on Linux or, or, or Unix, basically. Okay, so you... So you can get... So I was living in this, and when I had nothing to do, I taught myself Unix. And I taught myself enough Unix to be able to immerse myself in the internet. And to me... Wow. So, so now you're going... How does this all fit together, the languages and technology? To me, it all makes sense because technology and, and marketing as well is it's like speaking a different language mm-hmm. because there's translation going on. So if I do this, what does that mean? And if I, you know, if I type this code, what does it do for me? And so you have to understand that. Um, and so I, just, I loved that because I could communicate. One of the big things was to be able to communicate with my brother who was at the University of Michigan. And he was on the internet. And so we could send ourselves email, which nobody could do back then. Unless you were at a university and you were in the computer room sitting at a server or basically like a a green screen Uh and typing, you know, typing code. Wow. And so I could at my desk at work, I could communicate with my brother via email. And that was that was just crazy amazing yeah holy cow okay so (laughs) this is this is amazing i find this so fascinating so that's how you got interested so at that point search engines didn't exist no no okay so you you, now you're in search engine optimization there was this there was this thing and i'm trying to remember it's like yanoff's list where this is crazy this is before you could really search so there was a directory or this service that you could subscribe to. It was, I think it was a weekly email um, and you actually got the new, and they weren't really websites. They were more like telnet sites. So okay. they're like super low, um, like there really, there weren't, really weren't any images. There's just information. So it's almost, you got, it's, it's, it's almost like you have to imagine this website that's really just um a character representation of a website um but the cool thing was it wasn't just on a line of code it actually if if you use the telnet program it would fill up your screen and you could you might have different colors and you might but but it's all character based wow but the cool thing is you could go to uh like the weather underground for example and you could get the weather in anchorage alaska Mm-hmm. Like you could type in, you know, AK and, and search within, you know, within this, you know, quote unquote website. And that was so cool because how, you know, there, there was no other way to get the weather unless you watched CNN and waited for it to come up or, you know, weather channel, I don't think existed yet. Or, or, I mean, how would you get the weather in, in, in Anchorage? You'd have to get on the phone and call some service or, you know. It's just twisting my brain, <laughs> like putting myself back back in this time because I didn't, I wasn't even like conscious then. It, it's amazing because I grew up with the internet and it's fascinating thinking yeah. about the, the underpinnings that are still there. I know, I know. 
But even even to me, it feels like the internet's always been around, but it hasn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're so used to it. As as search came about, did you immediately understand how search engines worked? Not really, because um, I remember um, this was 19, this is like the mid 90s, 96, maybe 97. Mm-hmm. I was working with a, a, a British a British firm and um, we were we were trying to figure out um, so we we understood so I was a VP of mar- I was marketing the marketing guy for them and we understood that the search engines were important but the search engines back then were like Lycos and Alta Vista and Yahoo uh-huh. and um, there were newsletters out there and some websites that helped you with search engine optimization but it was like 99% of it was how do you trick the search engines the most efficiently so you get you know a, a benefit out of it for your site so i remember just massively crazy things uh, 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 like we would actually design home pages specifically for lycos so we had a lycos home page we had an alta vista home page and we would feed so we'd, we'd create this I mean, it was something like, you know, website.com slash AV or something like that. And we need all this for Alta Vista. So we'd feed that to Alta Vista. So we'd submit it to Alta Vista, which today is so backwards, because if you think about Google, you don't submit your website. The way you get found is through inbound links, through links pointing to your website. Yeah. So Google basically finds you through its, 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 its tentacles. Yeah, and that that's a, 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 a in, in a sense a proof of validity. Wow. Yeah. So back then, I mean, we were just thinking, so how do how do we trick these guys? So we'll just build Alta Vista really likes that, so we'll build the homepage like that and put little signals in there, and it was crazy. Yeah. Okay. So how did you get from there, working for another company doing their marketing, yep. to starting your own company? So I knew marketing, or, or I knew the online part of marketing was really important. And I was getting into it more and more, and I actually worked with some some contractors and and um, what one of the the um, the big resources back then was a company called Planet Ocean, and they were based in Hawaii. Oh no way! And they yeah yeah yeah, and they and I, th- I think they're still around. Um, and they came out with a with a newsletter with with information of you know how to deal with the search engines, and they all had different you know there are different sections. There's alt. Alta Vista, this is changing. Here's what you got to focus on with Yahoo. Oh, this is this is problematic. So you know, stay away from that. But but do this instead. And like and, and they're all in, in, in and then Google came along. Um, while I was with this company with JSB slash Surf Control, um, and that I, I remember one day one of our 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 tech our techie guys said, oh, here's this new search engine called Google, and we're like, okay, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> But but the different thing the, the the big difference was it was it just said Google on the homepage on the search page, and there was a um, you know a, a, a keyword field and the rest was white. Mm-hmm. So different from Yahoo because Yahoo was trying to sell you all this crap, all this news, and yeah. it was a portal. So it was a complete uh, reversal of of, of 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 the approach. And so I mean, in my mind, it was okay. Yeah. Garrett, this is yeah, yeah, whatever. This is a this is kind of a techie thing. It's it's never going to make it, but it looks really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we knew it was it was it had been started up by 
by two guys at, at Stanford. And I think the original name of it was um, Back Rub. Oh, you're joking. Because, yeah, yeah. It was like the beta name for Google. Back Rub because... Um, so one of the big things that 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 was different for the for the Google approach was instead of looking at um, on-page signals and relying on on-page signals, where you can basically build up your website, put all sorts of crap on it, and you know Britney Spears and this and that, and 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 people find you because of you know because you're basically saying here's what my website's about, but it's not really about that. Yeah. And so with Google that changed. So Google said, okay, this is a big issue letting people put um, uh, um, you know meta keywords and and, and 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 modify them and and you know they've nothing to do with the actual content so how do we how do we assess authority and to them it made sense to look at external factors such mm-hmm. as links um, going back to that to, to your site and so so Google basically said that you know they set up they set up this very complex algorithm that 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 basically based your authority on inbound links. So the more inbound links you have from authoritative sites, so it's this chicken and egg thing. Yeah. Like what's authoritative? Oh, links from authority, but how do you know their authority? Oh, because they also have links from other authority sites. That's so okay, so you know, which one existed first? That's so yeah. It's almost like this, 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 um, this, this cycle, but it worked. It was very complicated, but it worked extremely well because it was fairly difficult to to influence that that algorithm. So, what was the most difficult thing about starting your company? So, what what happened was I was with this British company, and we were looking for um, we're looking for another company to acquire the division that I was in. It was just a kind of a natural progression. So we found somebody. We found a company that that seemed like a good, um, a, you know, a good a good solution for us. They were based in in Houston, so we'd, we'd fly there a lot, visit them, and and uh, by and by, I realized that, you know, they're really nice to me, and they're showing us around and kind of showing me houses and how inexpensive they are. And I realized they they want me to move to Houston. Oh wow! Aha! Interesting. So, um, uh, so, you know, the more, the more I went there, the more I realized, okay, that's, that, that's, that's going to be the future of, of this division. Although I'd really hope that marketing and sales would stay in California. Um, and so, so I ended up leaving the company. I got laid off because I wasn't willing to, to, to move to Houston. Um, but then I had some, I had some options, which was, which was great. Um, and then I had, I had this idea about, so my my initial idea kind of went back to my roots, and I wanted to do um, uh, kind of look at alliance building and, and and especially getting helping German German companies move into the U.S. because I you know I I, I really understood German companies and I understood the U.S. market. So it's kind of looking at strategic alliances and but that was very that that was very tough. It's very tough to get into uh, discussions um, for for those offerings, especially if you're not, if you're not established. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was still very intrigued by the search engines because to me, they kind of bring together technology, which I'm intrigued with and language because it's, you know, it's speaking, figuring out language with the algorithms and, and, and kind of, you know, in, in a sense, Google hears something 
and 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 kind of comes like like a like a psychoanalyst and says, "Here's what I'm hearing. Is that right?" And gives you kind of ten results. Oh, interesting. And then and you, you kind of vote and you say, "Well, not really." And so you as and, and this is what's fascinating, because Google morphs as much as the users are morphing, because if if you're looking for something, so you put in one phrase, you look at oh car, and then you just get a bunch of junk. And then you realize, oh, um, rental car. Oh, Google didn't understand, of course. So have to be very specific. Okay, and then you get a, a bunch more junk. Um, and then and then you think, oh, well, that's that's oh, that's for my trip in Florida. So rental car Florida, and you get more information. And then oh, okay, rental car Florida, Fort Lauderdale. And then you go, you know, you go inexpensive, and you go, you know, whatever. Oh, oh um, uh, like convertible, and, and it gets more and more specific. Yeah. So in a sense, you are learning because you're seeing Google's results, and you're thinking, no, that's not what I said. And so you kind of become more and more specific, and and that's that's one of the progressions that's taken place within the search engines, especially within Google, is that that queries have become more and more complex, where the average query length used to be, you know, maybe two keywords or two keyword queries now it's becoming more like you know three and four because we and we're already thinking that way we don't have to type in car and get a bad result mm-hmm. we, we already know oh rental car fort lauderdale um convertible boom and then and then you you get the results oh that's so interesting yeah this might be a little esoteric but i, I have a feeling that there is some sort of connection between that sort of learning growth and kind of like b- building upon knowledge you've already gained between there's some, there's a link between that and entrepreneurship. Is there, is there a link that you can make between those? Um, I think, yeah, I, 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 I see what you're saying. I think the, the, the very cool thing about being an entrepreneur is that it really feels like whatever, whatever you do is never, a waste of time like if let's let's say if, if you're working for somebody you feel like okay I'm, I'm doing this i'm getting paid for it fine oh i'm here after five i'm not getting paid to be here after five why am i doing this what's the benefit hmm. so you, you have to get very esoterical and think okay well my boss will see me and it's okay it looks great and you know but if you're an entrepreneur um if you're let's say you're pitching a company you know you're not getting paid for it yeah um and so you do your first pitch goes really well and then you come back for the second pitch and you're putting even more time into it and it of course it is time you're still not getting paid for it but you're getting something out of it because it's something that you can internalize and that you can use for the next pitch and it's a growing it's almost like you're uh, like, like like the search engine but you're gaining more knowledge and you're you're you know your your algorithm b- becomes more agile in a way and so that's that's what's fun about being an entrepreneur that you can you can have all these excuses and and a lot of the stuff you can expense you know you can just get in a car and drive somewhere and meet somebody uh, for a funky reason but it's something that ultimately will move you closer to uh, your final goal. Hmm. Oh, I love that. That I that was a <laughs> I, w- I went out on a limb there. But that was fascinating, actually. <laughs> Um, so how did, how did you get your first clients? First clients, the very first one was, uh, Mark Vieira, a guy I knew already that I'd worked with. Um, and he was, um, 
he was a vendor who basically so I, I worked with him at, at, at my at my previous job and he he did um, uh, print jobs basically mm-hmm. so if you had direct mailer or you were sending something out and you know you, you figure out how much is it how many do you need working with mailing houses and as is a great um, uh, uh, a kind of a, um, uh, a full um, a full service with him as well and he had a website and so so l- let me just backtrack a little bit so mm-hmm. Houston came up didn't work out got options started my company kind of looked at um, the initial the, the the first name was synapse fusion because it was kind of like you know brain coming together and firing and yeah uh, um, and then I met this German guy uh, Marcus Hovener and um, it was see it was one of those, those cultural things again I was at, I was doing a lot of networking which I love doing and I was at a networking event in in uh, in, in Palo Alto uh, near Stanford and so I'm I'm you know this German guy and somebody else is saying oh there's this other German guy meet him and I'm thinking okay there are 80 million Germans why oh, f- oh fine okay I'll just meet him yeah whatever <laughs> Hey Harley, look, there's an American. You want to meet him? Like, yeah, right. Why? Why? <laughs> I get that with people from Hawaii. Exactly. Like, right, I left right. for a reason. I don't have a lot in common with most people from there. Hey, I know this guy from Hawaii. Do you know him? No. Why? Yeah. Would I exactly. But I met him, and he's he's very smart, um, and you know, so we just kind of talked, and you know, okay, whatever, take it easy. And then a month later, we went to the same networking event just by chance. He was there again. We talked again. We we realized we really hit it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we talked about search engines and, and we thought, you know, this, this could be very interesting. So Andreas has kind of this VP of marketing background, understanding, you know, the understanding of what, what does the VP of marketing of a, of a, you know, high, high tech company look for. And Marcus was extremely smart on the search engine side. Hmm. Um, he had written code, search engine code that was, that was um, acquired by AltaVista Germany for example, so so he really understood algorithms inside and out. Wow! And the the technology behind it. So um, I think putting our two brains together was great because we really got it. And so then we just thought initially we were gonna we had some other ideas, but but then we started talking to companies about this you know search engine optimization. It was a super confusing time. Nobody was doing it right. Um, people didn't really understand the value. We actually had to sell the value of it. We had yeah. to sell, hey, if you rank well, like, oh, really? Oh, you, seriously? Um, and, and these days, you don't sell the value. It just it's it's almost a commodity. So, it's, mm-hmm. so it's, uh, the value is almost taking a back a back seat. Um, and so, yeah. So we just we had connections and and we did we did presentations, we did talks, we had speakerships, and at at one of those, so so. so I knew this this Mark Vieira with his with his company on the mark, and he had a website, and so we thought, hey, why don't we, you know, let's let, let's help him. That, that that'd be great, and so he was our first client, and he was um it, it, was, re- it was it was great. I mean, he paid five hundred dollars a month. It was really like a really sweet relationship, and then I remember going to refinance our our home, and you know basically you know, I had no income except for this $500 yeah. a month. And so I'm just kind of thinking, well, you know, they say you can do, do this no docs thing, but let's, let's just see what, what we can do here. So I talked to a, a loan broker and she asked me, how much are you making a month? And I said, 500. And she said, 
that's not too bad. Half a million. Like, no, 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 $500. <laughs> and then her response was, okay, you know what? I didn't hear that. We'll do a no doc loan. And that was back. So you're, that was back when, when basically if you wanted a loan, but you weren't qualified, they would just kind of make a, you know, a bizarre time wow. where, I mean, and we were basically told, no, no, this is how you do it. This trust us. This is, this is great. We'll just make up some figures and it's, it's, you know, everybody's doing it and, yeah, so I was able to refinance, and I was fine. I, I never defaulted, but that was, you know, kind of the first, the first wow. client. <laughs> that's that's just insane. It, it's amazing hearing about people's stories of yeah. their first clients. But how did you get right. from that point to getting some of your? You you've had some really big clients over the years. Yeah, then fairly quickly because because uh, we were in, in, in Santa Cruz, mm -hmm. um, I met, this was, one of them was a, um, a presentation. I was presenting with the VP of marketing of West Marine. Okay. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. And after, after our presentation, you know, he, he wanted to talk to me and, and, and he actually brought up the fact, Hey, you know, we should talk about search engine optimization. Would you be interested? And so one of our first clients after on the mark was West Marine. Wow. And the same thing happened with Plantronics. Um, they were local, and I, I don't even remember how we got talking with them. I think it was some connection, some networking connection. Wow. And so suddenly we had some of the largest companies around, in some of the largest companies in the U.S. because they happened to be here. Yeah, and then it just, you know, we got, and it was really fun. We, we got to work with companies like, in, 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 in the very, very, very beginning, companies such as Skype and, Yelp and LinkedIn when they were just starting out. What was yeah. that like? It was a blast. So what, what's it like looking back like Skype is and LinkedIn and even Yelp, they're just household yeah. terms. I know, I know. Do you feel like you played a part in that because you helped them gain visibility online? Oh, I, no, I really do. But I, I, I do have to honestly say when I first looked at, I mean, Yelp, I kind of got, but I remember looking at LinkedIn and thinking, I don't get it. I still, I, I still really, do that. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I, I do have to say, I, I, I truly understand. I really get LinkedIn and I, I, I derive a lot of value out of, out of using LinkedIn. But back then I just, um, uh, and it was really funny cause I knew, I knew, I knew the founders mm -hmm. and I remember, um, so they gave me access to LinkedIn and I had no connections. So I had zero connections. So back then you didn't see anything. It's like, you're just kind of hanging there. Yeah. It's like, what's the point? And so I just thought, oh, I know, I know this guy's email is one of the founders. So I'll just, oh, he's probably got a lot of connections. Great. So I'll connect to him. And he refused because he said, we only, um, in LinkedIn, the only people you connect to are people, you know, very, very, very well. Really? And to this day, I've tried to kind of uphold that where, um, at least to the point, I mean, I have, I think I have maybe a thousand connections, which compared to other people is, is not that much, but mm -hmm. I feel like I really, I can go back to every single one of them and say, not necessarily here's where I met them, but this, this, this is the, um, uh, like this, this is where, um, this connection came from. Yeah. So if somebody says, Hey, do you know, you know, um, can you connect me to Harley? I can say, oh yeah, here's, you know, here's how I know him. And Hey, Harley, do you mind if I connect you with this other guy? But I notice a lot of people just accept, you know, invites 
by mm-hmm. other people. They connect. Um, then they've, they've no idea who they are. I mean, they don't, yeah. they, they don't even look at the profile. They just kind of, you know, and, and to me, that's, that's not networking. That, that doesn't make any sense. So then you've got, I don't know, 10,000 connections in your network, but what's the point? You know, yeah. 90% of them, you, you have no idea who they are. Oh, Why? That's so interesting <laughs> that you were in there in the, the, the day one. Right. That's right, so incredible. Right. And I, I was really scratching my head thinking like, what, how, how does this work? And then especially after I got this pushback, but then I connected with some other people in there and then I got it mm-hmm. because it, so initially you, you have zero connections. You don't see anything, but then once, once you have one, once you have one connection, then by second degree, you're connected to all of that person's connection. So suddenly you have at least a second degree connection to maybe 200 people. Mm-hmm. And that was like, Oh wow. Okay. I get it. I get it. Yeah. LinkedIn, LinkedIn's kind of fascinating. Yeah. I don't understand it, but I'm kind of working on it. Yep. It's kind of yep. a back burner thing. So I feel like I would, I would be remiss <laughs> if I didn't ask, um, what was it like when Bettina, I, I need to give a little backstory first. So Bettina, your daughter and I, and another friend went on a Greyhound trip when we were 17 from here, Santa Cruz to Johnson City, Tennessee. What was your reaction? I've kind of always wondered this, and this is the perfect opportunity to ask. What was your reaction when she brought that up, brought up that idea? We were super excited on, on the one hand, but on the other, I mean, imagine having a 17-year-old daughter getting on a Greyhound bus, That's which is not necessarily the safest mode of transportation. Not even close. <laughs> no, we, we were we were worried but we also knew that that you know you three would be okay mm-hmm. um and i'm no i'm glad we let her go because i i think it was one of the greatest experiences for her although that one call <laughs> i think i know which one you're talking about yeah 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 so um you guys had what was going on i think we we had tried to reserve a hotel and something didn't work out and you were i, so, I just have this this, this vision of you guys being in some really, really bad neighborhood, like 11 o'clock at night and saying, uh, we need a place to sleep where, you know, can you help us please? <laughs> we were in the Memphis City Greyhound Station. We weren't even supposed to be in Memphis in the first place, but oh, okay. we ended up in the Memphis City Greyhound Station. You'd and missed we were, a bus or something? We had gotten, we'd missed a bus in Texas. Okay. And got rerouted to Memphis, missed our connection. Uh-huh. So... Uh-huh. You guys ended up putting us up in a hotel down the street, and then we overslept and missed the bus oh, the right, next day. Right. But it was it was all pretty crazy. But that that ended up leading us to meet Ben, which who, was great. Which was great. Which I was great. interviewed him yep. a few episodes back. That was number yep. eight. Mm-hmm. But I just I thought this would be a really funny, really interesting chance to oh, ask that you. Nice tie-in, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I looking looking back at it. Yeah. Like Oliver, your son, he just turned 18. He's right. older than I was right. Right. when I did that. And now right. looking back at 17 year olds, right. I'm like, how would anyone let them do anything? Right, right, right. So it's just, it's really interesting to me. Well, we homeschooled our kids. So that, that, that helped a little bit because you, you, you kind of try to give them tools and you, 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 you try to let them spread their wings and in, in different ways than, than maybe a standard approach would would allow yeah mm-hmm. but i do have to admit when we got that call from memphis and suzanne and i were like at a laptop opening a map going oh my god okay here's where they are and let's find a hotel and we're calling hotels and okay they're going to be three kids showing up 
you know, we got two rooms for them <laughs> or what it was one room or whatever. We yeah, had. <laughs> it was, it yeah. was interesting. <laughs> that yeah. was kind of a, I don't know whether to call it a highlight or a low point. I think it was both. I think it's, no, it's, I, I think it's, 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 it's definitely a, a growing, a growing point. Yeah. So do you think that the fact you went through your whole education experience without kind of really examining where it was you were going aside from the standard path, do you think that influenced your, your decision to homeschool your kids? Interesting. Um, I think that that probably did help. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what happened, what, what kind of pushed us at the point, um, was that we had moved from Capitola to Aptos and Suzanne was interviewing the principal of, of Bettina's new elementary school. And, um, we felt like the information that we were getting about the school was so focused on, um, the results that they had achieved and you know, how, you know, how great they were doing and how they're preparing their kids, um, you know, with these numbers and statistics. And we felt like it wasn't really warm and fuzzy and we'd had a great experience, um, in elementary school with, with, uh, with Bettina up to that point where she'd had really, really sweet teachers. And we just felt like the sweetness wasn't really there. And then at the same time, there was this, this, um, uh, uh, this memory that came back, a friend of Suzanne's had said, you know what? You of all people should homeschool, should try homeschooling. And that was maybe, you know, a few years ago and she'd kind of, you know, pushed it away and uh, what are you talking about? But for some reason that, that came back, that memory came back. And then, I mean, we both thought, you know, what's, what's the downside? Hmm. Let's just try it. If it, if it doesn't work out, we can still send Bettina to this new school because there's a transition in the works anyway. So we can do, we can do a, um, you know, a semester or half a school year, try that. It doesn't work. Great. We'll just send you to, uh, to, to the new elementary school. And, you know, ever since then, both of our kids were, were homeschooled. And I mean, there are a lot of ups and downs and it's, it's tough as, 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 as you know, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, it's been wonderful. Yeah. What's the most, it, it can be about that, about homeschooling, but what in general over the past few years has been the most gratifying part of your day-to-day -day life? Wow. I think, I mean, there's a lot of, if, so if homeschooling and being an entrepreneur, um, there are a lot of parallels because if you're from the very programmed external world of sending your kids to a school here's what's next oh they will tell me what to do oh they have to take the sat oh they have to you know here's the logical path and this is what's done when you apply to stanford um if if you're and and, and same thing in, in in your career path if you're just with a you know working for a company they give you a paycheck you you don't screw up they don't fire you and and, you know, you get your 401k, there's certain expectations and things are done for you. Um, once you start managing that stuff yourself, I mean, some people are really freaked out and it doesn't matter if you're, if you're an entrepreneur, they say, well, so, you know, how do you get your paycheck? You know, you know, who takes care of you? Oh, I kind of do that myself. Wow. Isn't that scary? Well, yeah. Hmm. And homeschooling is the same way. 
So how does it work? How do you know what to do? You know, do you sit at a table every morning and from 7 a.m. to, you know, 4 p.m. you have classes and, and so where do you get your books? And, and, you know, no, it's not, it's not that rigid. It's just, you just kind of do stuff and you kind of work out the best way of, um, of, uh, of fitting it into your life. And so what happens is there's a lot of spillover. If you're an entrepreneur, you don't work from eight to five. You work, you know, during your lunch break because you're taking somebody out. You do an interview with Harley. You do. <laughs> <laughs> you um, uh, like like at eight at night, you're doing some weird networking thing that you would probably never do if you, if, if this were your regular job. With homeschooling, it's the same thing. As as the kids get older, um, you'll have them go to community college, mm-hmm. uh, to Cabrillo here, for example, and you'll try to fit that in and. And, you know, you, you, you'll have them spend a year in you know, a year overseas or in Dublin or, or, you know, those those kinds of things. But it works out. Yeah, it's OK. It's scary, though, because there is no you, you can't really go back and talk to uh, like your counselor or, or you know, open a book and say, OK, step three, being an entrepreneur, it just it doesn't exist. How yeah. do you how do you deal with that uncertainty? Mm, I think I, I, I try to focus on the benefits the benefits being the flexibility um, of being being able to be with with your family when when you know, when you need to uh, being able to take a vacation uh, that's sure it's a work vacation but um, so so Marcus my 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 co-founder is in Germany and um, so he's he started up uh, Blue Fusion Germany uh, back in 2003 2004 and so that gives me the flexibility to go back there once or twice a year and that's really nice because so I can combine visits with my family with my dad who's there my brother my sister and business whereas if I had a regular job I wouldn't be going to Germany you know once or twice a year that mm-hmm. it just it wouldn't make any sense yeah yeah so that's those those are the benefits yeah that is so interesting so one of the one of the last questions here before we wrap up if your past self from any point um, that we've talked about today if your past self could see your current self, what would surprise him the most? I think, and I was just thinking about that before, I think going back to my friends in Germany, my my, my school friends, um, even people from college in, in the US, the fact that I'm kind of doing my own thing mm-hmm. really surprises them. And if, 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 if I were to go back and uh, imagine myself, um, you know, in the, you know, e- even graduate school, um, having me be an entrepreneur just, it didn't, it, it doesn't, like it wouldn't compute. Yeah. You know, I would, okay, so I go into marketing, but I have this great job at IBM or something. They take care of me and yeah, yeah. And then how would you <laughs> define success in your own life? Wow. It's it's something I, I think about a lot and it's, it's um, we recently have had a lot of people very, very sick or close to dying or dying friends, our age, um, you know, relatives um, who might be older. And so, um, I mean, it, it sounds really cheesy, but when, when I think about that, I think about like, if I were dying right now, like what would I appreciate? Like, where would I say, oh, this is, I'm so glad I did this. I'm so glad I worked the extra hour. I'm so glad I, you know, I spent time with, I don't know, 
I mean, I, lo I love riding my motorcycle. And so that, that, that to me is just, it's, it's great just being, you know, being with people and, and, and being in, in, in these social situations and um, enjoying, enjoying California and, and, and the weather. But then also um, like Oliver just turned 18 and just watching him grow up. And then I, I realize I'm not at home all the time because I, I work in my office here in, in Santa Cruz, but I do have time to, to, to spend with him and to see him you know, play, play the guitar and sing. And, and, uh, you know, the same with Bettina being able to, to, to kind of witness, um, her growing up and, and not being kind of locked into this. Oh, I'm, I'm commuting. So I'm, 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 I have a job and I'm commuting. So I'm going to be gone for 6am and coming back at 8pm. And so I'm completely removed from what's going on during the day. Hmm. So, so. <laughs> I, I think we got it. That's a beautiful way to wrap this up. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, I think, um, so entrepreneurship. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's, that's been wonderful. Um, I think languages are something that everybody should, um, immerse themselves into. Mm. Um, and it kind of ties in with homeschooling and a lot of people say homeschooling. Oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not cut out for that. I think, I think you'd be surprised so kind of take take that same approach with languages. Some people say, "Oh, I, I could never learn a language," but even if you're not that good at it, just being able to pick it up. And so, if you can't speak it, if 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 you learn French, um, and then you go to France after that, your appreciation of what the culture is like of where you are is just is magnified, you know, a million times, um, and uh, it's it's totally worth it. So. Learn, mm. learn a language is my oh man is my takeaway i've, I've gotta <laughs> i've gotta go dive back into my swedish learning app gotta go work on that so where can we keep in touch your website your online home yeah i mean my my, my work website is bluefusion.com b-l-o-o-f-u-s-i-o-n um I'm, what, one thing i'm trying to do is is write uh is is really publish more mm. um and there's a uh, there's a blog so I'd, I'd like to populate that. I have two um, uh, potential blog entries that I'm thinking about. One of them I'll, I'll, I'll try to write on Friday about video SEO, but I'll, I'll try to keep it fun. And I think for, for me, that's important just to get, because there's so much in there that, that, that I need to get out. And, I know the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So I'll have links to all that in the show notes. And Andreas, thank you so Wonderful. much for taking the time to do this. this thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Andreas I had a really good time doing that and you guys listening you can probably tell that was a that was a pretty different interview than I've done before I was it felt really different sitting across the table from someone just having that conversation in person and Andreas is someone I've known I've known pretty well for quite a while I met him when I was 17 with uh, around the time of that Greyhound trip as I mentioned before but yeah so Andreas I really appreciate that I had a ton of fun I'm really looking forward to talking more soon and for those of you listening, go to peopleshow.co for more information. The hashtag PWM21 is where you can find the conversation and quotes on social media surrounding this episode. And booksmatter.co is where you can go to get a free copy of any audiobook you would like from Audible. 
I know Andreas likes Malcolm Gladwell, so you might want to check out some Malcolm Gladwell stuff. And I want to remind you guys that I've been using what I've learned on my own and through these interviews over the past few years to help people identify what lights them up, how to make a career out of it, and then to actually gain the skills to create a practical game plan to make that happen. So if this is something that interests you, I would love to talk. Go to harleyeblen.com contact, fill out that form, and we can hop on the phone to talk. There's no obligation. I'm just really looking forward to talking to you because I think we can make some amazing things happen in your life. All right, so the next episode, I have a really cool guest, Hal Elrod. And I think you guys will really enjoy him. He's a motivational speaker. He is. He used to be a salesman for Cutco. He had some lessons from that. But the craziest thing about him is he died in a car crash, a head-on car crash with a drunk driver. They were both going about 70 miles an hour. His car was completely crushed, and he died. And I got to interview him uh, a week or so ago, and I think you guys will really enjoy that. So that one's coming out next week. And thank you. I hope you guys have a great week, and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you.